Here we go then, another episode of Searching for Shinies. And Richie, I think you need to start this episode by apologising to the listeners. Excuse me? What are you referring to? Well, have you got your mic turned around? Ah, very good. Uh, Yes, thank you. So apparently, listeners, your microphone needs to face a certain way. Now, let me just say this. The microphone is spherical. So it's a bit like being told that you need to drink your pints from a certain direction. It's ridiculous. But that's where we are, so hold my hands up. Rookie mistake. But we've learned from it, and, you know, we go again. You've redeemed yourself by finding our next player. Well, yes. So let me just start by saying this. Obviously, Ketch and I are trying to find players from the 97 sticker book, as you all know by now, for those of you that have listened to previous episodes. And it's got to the point where I'm genuinely dreaming about it. So the other night, I dreamt that I'd hacked into... Roy Hodgson's email, and I managed to get the contact details for Tim Sherwood. That, that is a dream that genuinely happened. Oh, fantastic. Yes, but thankfully, in this instance, we have an actual player, no dreams required here, just a school friend of mine, a chap called Tom Flight, who's written a book about Middlesbrough in, in the 96-97 season, a book called You're Joking, Aren't You? I can recommend it. And through that book, he uh, managed to put me in touch with Craig Hignett. Yes. Higgy was keen to come on. Took a little bit of chasing, but... Um, Obviously, for those that perhaps don't know Higgy so well, he's a he's a borough legend and an all-round nice guy. Mm, very dry sense of humour. Yes, yeah, yeah, you caught me off guard with that. <laughs> he's also had some real highs and lows throughout his career, um, which obviously we'll explore in this in this episode, Catch. Yeah, amazing episode. We spoke for about two and a half hours, so it's going to be a two-part of this. We've managed to get it down into two parts of about 45 minutes, but... The reason I think it's got to be two parties, there was just so much in there. And the 96-97 season for Middlesbrough was actually insane. As a non-Borough fan, I forgot how mental it was. The fixture build-up, we won't spoil it, but you know, so much happened. And there was so much extra detail that Higgy brought in there. Mm. Like oh, some of the Robson stuff, Brian Robson Ravinelli. stuff, floored me. <laughs> Ravinelli things call, are crazy. Oh, yeah, phone call he made with Robson. And, and something I didn't expect from this podcast was I think Higgy got a bit emotional at times and we got some kind of you know real inf- in- interesting information about the time he spent under Karanka as assistant manager some kind of like exclusive stuff that I'd never heard of before mm. from from recent football history so that's that's going to be interesting to for you to listen to but it was just a, a staggering it was a staggering couple of hours with him really and that's why we're putting it into two parts so before we bring Higgy in Let's just have a very quick look back at last week and, and the episode with Lee Dixon. Yeah, unbelievable. As I said in the show, 1990s royalty. And we've apologised for your poor mic quality. Luckily, Dixon's mic quality <laughs> was incredible, as were his stories. The Keon story mm. he kicked off with was amazing. Mm. All, the, all the players that his career's touched has been fantastic. He had some amazing Gaza stories, which we've actually left out, which we might have to do a Gaza special for, because he had some fantastic yes, England Gaza stories. But go back and listen yeah. to Lee Dixon. He's one of the nicest blokes I think we'll ever be connected with doing this. He was so helpful. He actually produced his shirt from 1989 at Anfield and put it on, signed by the whole team. That was a complete bonus, complete stroke of luck, but he did it because he's a great lad. Mm. So we love Lee Dixon. We'd love you to go back and listen to that show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, please do that. But for now, let's bring in Higgy. We found a player who appeared on page 77 of the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. He made 465 career appearances for 12 different clubs, winning the Ensley First Division in 94-95, the League Cup in 2002, and in between, he was a runner-up in both the FA Cup and the League Cup finals. During the season, he appeared as sticker number 319 in the sticker book we're working our way through now. It's an honour to give a big shiny welcome to Middlesbrough's Craig Hignett. Craig? Welcome to the show. Hello, fellas. Do you prefer Craig or Higgy? Whatever. Whatever you feel comfortable with. 
Higgy feels right. I've <laughs> said it for, whilst on the on the stands at the Riverside. That's what most people this, call me. I wouldn't expect you to remember. This isn't the first time that we've met. So um, I used to have a season ticket at Millersville. I'm not talking about that. But a few years ago, probably early 2000s, I was on a night out in Yarm High Street. It was quite early doors, so I went to a cash machine and the whole of the Yarm High Street, there was a power cut whilst my card was in the cash machine. Right? <laughs> so I, I had a couple of pals had to help me out for the evening. So we wandered down to the Georgian Dragon, I think it was. And in there is Jeff Winter and Craig Hignett. So we sat down, one of the lads bought a beer and we worked up the courage and thought, oh, come on, we'll go and say hello to Higgy. So we've gone up to the bar and we got chatting and I said, oh, you won't get, believe what's happened to me tonight. And my card's been eaten by the cash machine just as a power cut. What are the odds on that? Do you know what your response was? Pretty good because mine was as well. <laughs> it was just, ha, 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 ha. She laughed in my face. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought I'd get that I probably in. thought you were trying to get a drink out of me. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what were you doing with Jeff Winter? Jeff, Jeff's actually a good friend of mine. I, th- I don't know whether we'd... Um... We'd been somewhere or we were going somewhere, you know, for an after dinner. But I don't know why I'd be in the Georgian. It's probably the only time I've ever been in the Georgian Dragon with Jeff Winter. Because he was a, a Middlesbrough fan. So we probably never refed any Borough games. But I know he did Newcastle games, which I was never too keen on him doing. But He refed me a couple of times when I was at Leicester, when I was at Crew. Actually, the game before I signed for Middlesbrough, Jeff refed the game and he booked me. And then when I turned up, I think he was working as a mortgage advisor. And I turned up and went into his office where he was working. And he said to me, oh, I was the, the ref last week. I booked you at Crew. I said, yeah, I know. He said, I can't believe they bought you. You were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> So you went in to get a mortgage off him? He was a big... No, I didn't. Well, as soon as I seen it was him, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's since become a really good friend, Jeff. And he used to come in and referee, you know, the pre-season games that all the clubs have pre-season games. And you get a ref to come and ref like an in-house game before you start with all the new rules that were coming in that season. And Jeff always used to come and ref our in-house games. And he used to absolutely ruin them. So they'd be called off after 30 minutes because these new rules and he'd be sending people off and he'd be doing all kinds of mad stuff. <laughs> and the lads couldn't get more than 30 minutes in a game. He was, he was oh, a nightmare. <laughs> so, Craig, the theme of the podcast is stickers. I've got your 1997 sticker here. There's a bit of trivia on the back for each player and I wanted to read this out and see what you think of what Merlin made of you in 1997 and if it's an accurate description. So it says... A terrier-like high-scoring midfielder with a penchant for overlapping down the wing, which can cause havoc in opposing defences. An astute passer of the ball and a dead ball specialist. Happy with that? Yeah, I think so. I think he was... I, I always People always call me a striker. And I never ever was a striker. I never played as a striker. I was always a right winger or right midfield or left midfield now and again. And I did play in behind for a while at Crewe, which is probably where... Know where I was best suited, but I never got a chance to, to do it at Middlesbrough, which was a shame. I was always stuck out in the wing or as a as a midfield three, or it's a bit strange to hear I had a penchant for overlapping runs when I should have been there anyway. On <laughs> <laughs> the Middlesbrough book, there is a, on the spread in the sticker book, there's 16 players of which you were one. We were wondering if you can name the other 15. From in that team? 96, 97, yeah. Schwarzer? No. Nope. No. <laughs> Fleming? Yep. Yep. Uh, Neil Cox? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Pearson? Mm-hmm. Steve Vickers? Yeah. Derek White? Yeah. Yes. Robbie Mustow? Mm-hmm. Emerson? Yeah. Janino? Mm-hmm. Ravinelli? Yeah. Mickle Beck? He's in, doesn't have a sticker. 
doesn't have a stick. He probably the stickers weren't big enough to get his hair in. So <laughs> he probably just left that blank. Who else would be? So Barnby was in. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Pollock? No. No. Two keepers. Two keepers? Yeah. So Alan Miller? Yeah. Gary Walsh? Yeah. There'll be another centre-half, Gianluca Festa? No. No, you've got... There is one other defender. It's quite a tricky one, I'd say. Chris Morris? No. Vladimir Kinder? Oh, Phil Whelan? Yeah. Um, And then you're missing two, one of whom I think left that season, striker. Bit of a club legend in the early 90s. Oh, Johnny Johnny Hendry. Yeah. yeah, and then there's an Irish winger stroke forward. Alan Moore. Yeah, that's it. Well yeah. done. You've done well there. Yeah. Yeah. Happy with that. It's, I, I, there's so many players who come in and out that season mm. or, or their next couple of seasons. So they, the seasons sort of get lost a little bit on me. Mm. I was just so, concentrating uh, on keeping me place. <laughs> <laughs> You've already um, alluded to you signing from Crew, which was in 92, 93, I believe. For half a million, that's that's pretty good money back back in those days. I'd had a really good time at Crew. I left Liverpool under a bit of a funny circumstance. I got glandular fever and Liverpool asked me to stay on when I recovered from it. It took me three months to recover. Um, and I went away with Liverpool to a, a tournament. We won the tournament, PSV Eindhoven. We beat in a final of this tournament. And I'd scored a goal. And Liverpool were on an hour and they wanted me to play another game in the reserves. And th- in them days, the reserves was like, it was like the people who weren't playing in the first team. So I'd be playing with like Paul Walsh and... People like that, Barry Benison was in it, Gary Ablett at the time. And I played another game, then he wanted me to play another game, and it was like they were dragging their feet. And I'd had a, I played against Crew and done really well. Uh, and then Dario phoned me up and said, look, come up, I'll give you a two-year contract, without even really wanting me to go on trial. So I went up and, and I signed for Crew. Turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Dario as a coach was, was fantastic for me, just what I needed at the time. He was very player development orientated, made you understand your game, played you in positions and, and done team formations where you didn't have to do anything you couldn't do. So I was always I was always poor with my back to goal because I wasn't physically strong. You know, I was only a little slight lad when I was developing. And he got me playing in a way, get on the half turn, get away from people. Um, and that just transformed my game overnight. I was literally there less than a month and I'd learned more in that month than I did in the, well, in the five or six years I was at Liverpool. And, and were you there that era that they had some amazing... Talented young players, I'm thinking, you know, Danny Murphy. Rob Danny Savage, Murphy was only a little kid, he, but Danny had come with Dario. Dario used to take Danny Murphy everywhere with him and he used to come and sit on the bench. And Danny was always a very confident lad. And he would sit on the bench, even at 15 or 16 years of age, and he'd be saying, oh, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. That's what he was like, Danny. And it, obviously he's turned out to be a really good player. And I, I enjoyed listening to him. I think he's a really good pundit as well. But there was, in my team... We had Rob Jones, we had uh, Neil Lennon, who then went on to, to do good things. But we had we had some good players. Peter Billing, who ended up going to, he played at Everton, then he went to Coventry. And we had a lot of, of good players. Ron Futcher, who'd been about a lot, came in, helped us out. Big Billy Whitehurst was there for a spell because yeah. we were we were a very young team, really talented and, and played good football. But playing in the lower leagues, you know, we used to get bullied quite a lot. And I think Dario had recognised it. And he brought Billy in. And Billy didn't really need to play. Billy just stood in the tunnel, looked at the other team and said, if any of you kick any of these, I'm going to sort you out after the game. In not them words, but words a bit more threatening and a bit more violent than what I've just said. <laughs> and it'd be great. We, we'd go out there and we'd know no one's going to touch us because Billy, Billy was a man of his word. 
Is it true that he used to do like bare knuckle fighting in between seasons and stuff like that? I can remember nutmegging him in training once and he ran after me for the next 30 <laughs> minutes of training. Like chased me. I didn't want to play football. I was running around the pitch while he was trying to get me. <laughs> I would never do that again. That was brave. Oh, he's a great... Yeah. He, oh, he was a top man he was. Billy was... He was fantastic for us at the time. So how did the move to Borough come around? I mean, obviously, you've scored, I've got the stat that you've scored 42 goals in 108 starts from midfield, as we've talked about, or on the wing. How did the move to Borough come about? Because that's quite a big jump, because that's the first season of the Premier League. We played Borough in pre-season. And at Crew, we always... Dario always... He had good connections, and we played some really good games. Middlesbrough, I think, were on a bit of a tour. They were going to play Crew on the way back up. I remember John Walk, I think, played in the game. And we played Middlesbrough, and we... I think we won two or drew 2-2 two, two, or maybe won the game and I'd scored two in the game. And I think from then on, Lenny had obviously put me on his radar and, and Ron Bone had come down to watch me a, a load of times, I've since found out. Uh, and every time he went back, he kept saying to Lenny, sign him now, sign him now. And Lenny never did. And he, he waited, I think he waited till the November. But by then, I think in November, I'd scored about 20 goals. We played West Ham in a, in the cup and I'd scored a, a winner in, in that. And Harry Redknapp, who was manager of West Ham, had put a bid in. I had the choice really of, of West Ham or Middlesbrough. And then Manchester City came in very late when I was talking to Middlesbrough. I was actually at Middlesbrough when Peter Reid was manager and my agent had spoke to Peter about, about it and she said, look, we're in Middlesbrough now. So nothing ever come of it. I was close to, to Manchester City a couple of times because later on in my career after Aberdeen, Manchester City had come in, but at the time they were League One and that just didn't quite happen because Aberdeen wanted a few quid as well. Interesting. What were your first impressions of Middlesbrough? Did you know much about the town and the club? Not really. No, I just um, I played against them. Obviously, Premier League. I knew they were they were doing all right at the start of that season, I think. But then they they sort of hit a wobble. And I think, well, Lenny was really honest. He said to me, "Look, we're trying to get Rob Lee, but if we can't get Rob <laughs> Lee, then you know you're next in line." But Rob Lee ended up going to Newcastle, so it could have been all different. You know, if Rob Lee would have signed, I don't know what would have happened. I'd have probably ended up at West Ham or. Or somewhere like that. Or Newcastle. maybe Newcastle. Newcastle yeah. So I went down, I spoke to Lenny. Lenny's a really likeable fella. If, if you've ever come across Lenny, he's um, very likeable. I, I got on with him straight away. Um, and really, it was a no-brainer. I was always going to sign. So negotiating wasn't, you know, it was nothing to do with money and nothing to do with... It was all about my development, really, as a player because I wanted to go somewhere where I was still going to get coached because I'd, I'd, I knew I still had a lot to learn. But I needed someone to, I needed someone to not look after me, but point me in the right way and and guide me, if you like. So I decided, you know, I I always knew if if I got on with Lenny, then I was always going to sign. Yeah. So this is ninety two, and when the Premier League has just started, did you know then, or did you have an inclination then from your conversations with Lenny Lawrence or or even if Steve Gibson that the club was going to have this new stadium, new training ground, and it was going to become what it came? No, I never spoke to Steve. Steve wasn't involved and he wasn't taken over straight away there was I think that was in the background going on mm. it was Colin Henderson um, right. when I, I was first there so didn't have any conversations with Steve and really the new I think it was only when Steve had, had taken over fully that the new ground and everything was was on the cards so fortunately enough for me it was a, a good decision that I didn't know about because of everything that was to come and but things didn't get off to a good start you were relegated <laughs> yeah we were they didn't get off to a great start because I my first game, I missed a sitter. We got beat 4-1, I think, at Oldham. And I twisted an ankle. And I thought, well, that's me done. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss a few weeks for that. But fortunately, I think we played... Did we play Chelsea on a Tuesday night? Uh, it was live on Sky. And I'd, 
I got myself fifth of the game. It was only four days later or something. And I did all right in that one. And it, it sort of settled me down a bit. But it was a tough season, that, because there was one or two players who had fallen out with him. I know Bernie had fell out with, with Lenny. And Bernie's a big personality. And, and I get on great with Bernie. He's probably the most eccentric man I know. But I get on great with him. And he was actually, me and Bernie used to compete in the running. We used to, like, Bernie hated getting beat by anyone in the running. And I was only a young lad, and I didn't really know all the, all the players properly. And we had this, we were running around the pitch. I think it was a punishment run, actually. It was a 12-minute run around the Ersum. And me and Bernie were up at the front, and he was getting quicker and quicker. And I knew he was getting quicker. And I, I was staying with him, and then I thought, and he, he to this day, he says, no, you wouldn't have. But 100% I would have. I was thinking, <laughs> do I just leave him now? and go because he was getting quicker and he was trying to he says he was but he was cutting corners as well and I was staying on, <laughs> on the cinder path and he was getting quicker and in the end I stayed behind him but I stayed behind him enough to let him know he might have been able to catch me there but I did I thought about just going and leaving him because the, the one thing I could do was run and I was quick but I was good at long distance as well as a short distance so I, but Bernie hadn't known me from from anyone you know none of the lads knew really what I could do or what I couldn't do athletically. He still moans about it now. He says, no, nah, I didn't get in that race. So, Bernie, I could have laughed. That's a good political decision I think you made there. Yeah, I did. Because yeah. I, I, I did have a lot of respect for Bernie. He'd have a, a really good start to that season. He was obviously one of Borough's best ever goal scorers. And I really liked him as a, as a man. He made me laugh. And I've, I've always got on great with Bernie. I love him to bits. Mm. I've listened to many, many an hour of him on his on the radio show, doing his commentary over the years. So, yeah. And in the in the jacuzzi at Tall Trees as well, seen him. Seen him in I the could hear him out normally up in the gym, and he was in the jacuzzi. Him and Ali had go in the jacuzzi, I think, every Thursday or something. And I could hear them both. <laughs> so that season, obviously, went down under Lenny, and then Robbo comes in. Was he a hero of yours, or no? I was a Liverpool fan. <laughs> oh, Robbo yeah. was um, Robbo was obviously man you. He was a legend, wasn't he? England captain, Man U captain. He, Robbo was one of them people that... He, he was a, a world name. He wasn't just an English name who everyone knew. He was a he was a legend. He was a world legend. He was... The reason we got all the players was because of Robbo and because of his name and because of what he'd done over the years in England. And it, it, was, it was an unbelievable signing from Steve Gibson. I know Robbo was one of Gibbo's heroes and they set out to get him and... And obviously at Man U, I think that season he'd been left out in the cup final. He knew he was he was leaving Manchester United. Nobody knew where he was going. And to turn up at Middlesbrough was was unbelievable, really, for for Steve Gibson to to one have the have the what would you call it the bottle really to go and mm. and ask him to do it. And the ambition was ambition is something Gibbo's always always had with, with the football club. Um, and and when he could. I mean, the 96-97 season is perfect. When he could, he would spend whatever to try and make Middlesbrough the best team in the country. And for a time, it looked like we were we were going to do it. Certainly, if we, I think if we didn't get relegated because of the three points in that season, the team the following season would have been unbelievable. Yeah. And I might not have played in it and, and been around it, but it would have been unbelievable because some of the names that were being mooted as coming in and... I mean, it was we'd already had Janino there, and Roberto Carlos was mooted to coming in. There was obviously, yeah. I think Paul Ince would probably have come a little bit sooner than he did, uh, and then some of the other. I mean, some of the, you could have took your pick out of the Brazilian team because of the pull that Junior and Roberto Carlos would have had. You've got Emerson there as well. 
I mean, there was talk of Romario and people like that. It was, it would have been, it oh, would have been. You make me cry. Yeah. We're going to get to that season in, in great detail, but first I want to ask a, a quite important question. When Brian Robson was unveiled as manager, he did a photo shoot on the pitch at Ayrson with half <laughs> shorts yeah. and socks, top half shirt and jacket. Was that discussed amongst the players? <laughs> I think discussed was right. <laughs> I think when you look back at that, you think, what's going on there? All he needed was a pair of slippers on with his socks and that. And it, it, I, I don't know what they were thinking of. I don't know what Robbo was thinking of because, yeah. again, I know Robbo quite. You know, I've seen I see Robbo quite a lot, and he's uh, he's not one for doing stuff like that. So how they've got him to do it, I don't know. Uh, but it was a looking back at it now, it was a proper weird photo, wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> just a bit. Yeah. I've seen it in fancy dress a few times. It's an absolute belter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in that season, one of the first names would be Nick Barnby. That sort of joined the fray and someone who you had a great relationship with, or or so it seemed, nicknamed the Midget Gems, I believe. Yeah, he, Nick was my best mate in them times. You know, we we were all always together. He really brought me on as a player because when he came, he was so sharp, so clever. And you, I'd look at him, a, a bit like, you know, some of the players who I, I admire, I'd look at and, and see if I could take bits from their game. And Nick, Nick was someone who was very similar to myself, who played similar to myself. I, I'd probably say... He he was a bit different to me in, in the fact that he enjoyed making goals more than scoring them. I was the other way around. I enjoyed scoring them more than making them. And um, but we were very similar. You know, he was he, he liked he, he looked passing the ball, one twos, clever play, quick play, one and two touch. And I hit it off with him straight away. He was he'd done everything you thought he was gonna do. And and if you play football with someone, it's very, very rare that someone will do something you think they're going to do every single time they have the ball. So I knew what he was going to do with it. And it was just one of them. He knew I was what I was going to do with it. If if he was free, he, and he knew for a fact he'd pass it or I'd pass it to him. So we just had that type of understanding. And, and because we played in similar positions, we could interchange and swap and... And we did look alike, as much as I didn't want to say it, and I hated it. We did look alike. I can remember when he first he first signed, and we were up in Scotland on pre-season tour. We were playing, I forget who we were playing, it might have been Hibs. Uh, we were playing someone in a pre-season friendly game. It was the first day, Nick wasn't involved in the game, I don't think. But he'd signed that day, and all the press were there to see him. And as I've come out on the pitch, and I'm tying my shoelace before the water, I've got all the press around me taking pictures. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what's going on here? And I, then I'm thinking, have I done something here? And it's going to be here. <laughs> and then afterwards, I said, what was that? And he went, oh, they were trying for Nick. They were saying, oh, is that Nick? And, and then at Arsenal, the first game of that season at Arsenal, I'm taking a corner and the abuse I'm getting from the Arsenal fans is something. And I'm thinking, I've got my name on me back here. Surely you can read, but they weren't bothered in reading that. I was just getting abuse taking this corner, and I thought, "This, this isn't right. Like it's, it's weird. It's probably weird." But people used to mix us up all the time, all the time. I, I always say to Nick, "I got you in the England squad," because I think half the time, <laughs> Teddy was looking at at Nick. He was looking at, but it, it's, that's just one of them things. It was a real pleasure to play with Nick. He's a, a good lad, really top lad, and. Um, like I say, he brought my game on tons. It's interesting because you were kind of similar dynamic, diminutive players and then another dynamic player arrived in October, Janino. Did you think he was coming in to take one of your places? Or Yeah, of course. Um, 
I'd, I'd actually had the talk with Robbo. Robbo had said to me, look, I've, I've paid five million for Barnby, five million for Janino. If, if they're fit, they're going to play. I didn't agree with him, if I'm honest. I'd, I'd, and I'd said to him, look, what you pay for, for them to get them here is, is up to you. If they're doing it and they're, they're on good form, that's fair enough. But if they're not, and I'm doing better, or I'm, then I want, you know, I want you to put me in. But I'd already had that conversation with him the, the year before when I'd been offered a contract, got glandular fever, they withdrew the contract. And then he asked me if I, I went in and said, look, I don't want to go. I'll give up me, me money what I'm due. But I just want you to treat me right and, and treat me if, you know, if I deserve a chance. And he, he was great with me, Robbo. He said, yeah, perfect. That's that's all I want to hear. Yeah. And I ended up starting the, that season against Arsenal. was the first game. So I'd had a really, I'd had a really good pre-season that year. And I'd scored loads of goals in it. I was feeling really fit and sharp after the glandular fever. And I'd started the season quite well. Uh, and, and we'd started well as a team. And then I think the game before Juni came in, we played Sheffield Wednesday and I think I'd scored a penalty in a 1-0 win. And then Junie had played the next game against Leeds, I think it was. I think his debut at home. And I played in the game. So me and Junie, I think Nick might have been injured. But I was always, from that point on, I was always looking over my shoulder. So I knew if the two of them were fit, even if I'd scored on the Saturday and done really well, I knew I was, you know, I was I was under under threat, which... Isn't great, you know. It's not. I, so I think in the end that that sort sort of made me think. Well, if you know, if there's a chance, I'll go somewhere else here where someone will put a bit of faith in me, and I'd probably look about it and think about it. Right, listeners, we're going to take a pause for breath there, and we're going to open some stickers courtesy of our fantastic sponsors, Tops. Ketch, have you got your stickers ready? Ah, well, slight hitch there in that, no, I don't have my stickers. <laughs> because I've, uh, I'm in the process of moving house, and I've actually packed them away, which is which is uh, helpful of me. So I don't have my stickers, but I've got my sticker book. So um, Absolutely village from you. Yeah. And let's call that, after microphone gate, let's call that one all, shall we? Maybe, maybe, but you know, come on, it's a stressful time. I'm moving house. I'm relocating from London to the northeast. I'm moving into the same street that Santiago Munez lived in when he relocated himself from Los Angeles to the northeast. So (laughs) it's football related. But yeah, the stickers are firmly packed away. But the book is here. So if you want to open your stickers, I can let you know which ones I need. I've got mine and I'm off to a belting start because I've got the big Real Madrid sticker of Eden Hazard. Oh, I need Hazard. In a kit. In a kit that looks way too big for him. But that's where we are with him. Victor Klaassen of... Who I've now discovered is not Plymouth Argyle. It's Krasnopor or someone. <laughs> I think I need him. I've got the Porto badge. And as I said before, the badges are the best stickers, the shiny. That's class. Mm-hmm. I need that as mm-hmm. well. Alexander Shritor. Nope. That's not how you pronounce it. Shriotta. Shriotta. Danu Kiev. Okay. Thank you. Sounds like I need him. Oh. Brucey back player, who I've got. Nico Elvedi. Right. I'll invariably need him because I'm so far behind in my book compared to you. Okay. Yes, probably. RB Leipzig. Up and Campo. Great midfielder. I'll have him. Is he midfielder or defender? I think he's defensive midfielder. I'm pretty sure he's a centre-back, but we can work on that. Toliso from Bayern Munich. He's a midfielder. He's great. Junior Moraes. Didn't he used to play for Bradford? Zapata from Club Bruges. I think I need him. And Luis Felipe, defender for Lazio. Do you know what? I think I've done pretty well there. I've, As I've said before, I've, I've admitted to the fact that I've been opening up these at, at some pace. It's addictive. But this really, is yeah. a good. This is a good pack for me. So look forward to 
yeah. sticking those in the box. We're really grateful to Tops for sending us these. They've literally sent us a box. Remember the boxes you used to get in the news agents, which was full of stickers? They've sent us a couple of boxes of stickers to just get stuck into. They are, of course, the company that Merlin, the producers of the sticker book in the 90s, uh, became. So we've got all this merchandise from the, the 2021 range, Champions League sticker books available in all good supermarkets and news agents. It's enabled us to roll back the years and tear open stickers, which we're loving. If you're doing the book yourself, you've got some swaps, are you doing it with your kids, mm. let us know. Let's do yeah, some swaps. Please. You know where to find us, searchingforshinies.com. Get in touch. We can do some swaps via the internet. Yes, please. Okay, let's get back to Craig Hibnett. It brings us on to 96, 97 which is the theme of our, our podcast, really. And it was an unbelievable season for Borat. We'll start in pre-season. Another Brazilian arrives, Emerson from Tenerife. Tell us about what he was like and your reaction to, to how things started to move up another level again, it seemed. Honestly, it was literally anyone could have walked through the door. We, we could have, we had the financial clout to get anybody. And, and if you look back now at the team that Robbo got, if you put it together like for like nowadays, it, it cost billions probably um, you certainly wouldn't get the top scorer in the Champions League for 7.7 million would you you'd, you'd, you're looking at a Ronaldo or Messi and you, you're talking 300 million quid so that's a no-no now when Emerson come he like for, for one he was so big you don't realise how not tall but thick set and strong and you think this lad can shift as well and he was he was so strong he was the strongest player I've ever played with you, you could you could give Emerson a ball if you were struggling in a game with maybe five minutes and he'd just go running with it and you'd see people bouncing off him all over the place and he just he just couldn't get it off him. But to go with the strength, he was unbelievably skillful. So when we used to play the boxers, you know, they call them rondo, rondos now, some of the skills and tricks and it was unbelievable what he could do. A top, top player. I've no doubt he was linked with Barcelona, I think, when he was at Borre. And I've no doubt if he'd have went there, he'd, he'd have been fine. He'd, he'd have been able to play no problem. Um, just a, a great lad, very un-Brazilian. And what I mean by that is, didn't like the hot. Did I had a cold shower every day after training. Um, obviously smoked like a like a train. <laughs> and even at half time, he'd go in the toilets and have one. Um, really? Yeah, he was. It was frightening to think of that that happening now. It wouldn't happen. Yeah, it wouldn't happen. But. Back then, he'd lock himself in the toilet and you'd just see it was like you choosing a new Pope or something. It was, um, he used to try and get them in when he could. So, but a great character, loved him again to bits. Uh, he was good for Junie. I think he settled Junie a little bit as well. You know, the, the fact that he had someone else to, to talk to in his, his native tongue. and But got stuck in, like Junie did, got stuck into to life on Teesside and, uh, and the area. And the lads, you know, any any time the lads were going out, he was there. They, they were both there, so they were they were brilliant, brilliant teammates to have. I mean, this was the time of when the foreign invasion came to the Premier League, and the, the dynamic really shifted. I'm fascinated to ask about the the dressing room at this stage because you've got lads from the be, the best thing about the book is you can see all the the stats for each player, and it tells us where everyone's born. So you've got lads from Bishop Auckland, Scunthorpe, Wigan, and then you've got you know Emerson from Rio. Janino from Sao Paulo, Ravanelli, like this must have been an incredible melting pot of bizarre football men. It was great when when you when you're doing well. It was great. the The cracks started coming when we weren't doing so well. I have to say we all pretty much got on, uh, apart from Rav, who 
wasn't everyone's cup of tea, I think it's fair to say. I I got on really well with him. Still do get on really well with him. You have to get to know Rav. His, his life his life was nothing like I I've ever seen before. Whereas, you know, he was a he'd won the, the European Cup Champions League as it is. He was top scorer, played for a massive club in Juventus, he was an idol and an icon in Italy. Came over to the Premier League. His life wasn't his own. Everywhere he went, you know, we we'd be in hotels Friday nights and people would be walking up to him while he's eating his dinner and and he just got pestered. I think more so than probably Janino did. Because a lot of people Rab's instantly recognizable. You know, Janino when he came over probably wasn't, but became instantly recognizable the more he played here. Whereas Rav was he was the white feather, everyone knew him by his grey hair and if he was anywhere he was suddenly mobbed by a load of people and his life really must have been must have been tough for him. So he would he would kick off. He was quite moody, he was quite stroppy if you didn't know him. If if you ever like people had come over to him when he was eating and that was a big no no for him and he would kick off in Italian and give it the arms and the <laughs> and then they'd walk away and and he used to get fed up with it. He was proper fed up with it. He would play on the fact that he was Ravinelli as well. So when he wanted to, you know, in, in shops or wherever, he would play on the fact that I'm Fabrizio Ravinelli and um, I want that for nothing. So he was he was a real character, Rav. But like I say, I got on I got on really well with him. I, I seen him. We were, we were playing Derby. He was at Derby and I was at Blackburn at the time. And we were staying at the same hotel that he was at with him and his brother. And I was in my bedroom and I seen Rav and his brother walking below my window. So I opened my window a little bit and I started throwing the bowl of fruit out. You know the bowl of fruit that you get in the hotel? <laughs> so there's oranges and pears and apples. Well, I was throwing these at Rav and they were getting quite close to him. So I was I was trying to hit his brother, but I was trying to get it close to Rav and he would look up the window and he's like fuming and he's come flying in the hotel. <laughs> he must have gone to reception wanting to know who this room is and there's all this fruit there. I mean, he's carrying some fruit in. So I thought I'm gonna go down reception. So I walked down reception, and he's he's having a go at the woman behind the can You get this room, <laughs> and as I've walked down and looked at him and started laughing, he went to me, "You bastard!" <laughs> I was giggling, laughing, and he didn't. He, he he was great with it. Do you know what I mean? Then one, as soon as he found out it was me, he was he was laughing his head off. Um, but that's you could wind him up so easy to wind up. And I always tell a story, doing after dinner, I, I've got a, a load of stories on Rav, but I tell one about the milkman coming to his house in Hutton Rugby. He was in a clubhouse and the milkman come to his house and knocked on the door and Rav answered the door. And he said, uh, Mr. Ravinelli, you have come for your milk money. He said, it's £2.50. He said, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, nothing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, £2.50 for your milk. Rav was like, if he didn't like what you were saying, he'd just, no, 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 no. <laughs> so the milkman's like, is there a problem? And Rav said, yes. He said, what's the problem? He said, it is an honour I drink from your dairy. <laughs> and that was it. That's all he said to the milkman. So the milkman's obviously is like, anyway, in the end, his missus had to come out and give the 250. And But Rav would do that. He, there's countless times where he's gone places, restaurants, shops, ordered stuff. No, 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 no. Not paying, not paying. <laughs> he scored... Over 30 goals in all competitions that season, obviously, as we went on to unfortunately be relegated, but two cup finals in there as well. Um, 
and I was at his debut against Liverpool. You, I was looking at your stats earlier, so you didn't play until about November in that season. We, Glandular fever, is it? Or? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I don't know why I didn't play. Uh, I was, I think I was all right. I think he played, obviously, Rav had played in Janino. And for whatever reason, Robbo felt that me and Janino, if he was playing Ravinelli, couldn't play in the, in the same side. For me, it was, it would have been perfect. So it would have been a, the same as Nick, you know. Mm. But I think Janino was more of a, I want to roam all around the pitch. So I think, Robbo had, had changed a bit the way he played from the we played the Christmas tree the first year to like a, a four four one one I think it, you would call it in the end, and I don't know why I didn't play till November. I think it was it was only when Emerson went missing. Hmm. I think I got back in, but I can't I can't remember why. I don't know why why it's it's a weird one really. Why why did Emerson go missing? I still don't know. I remember the fans singing, "Where's your Emerson?" <laughs> he went. Uh. It's funny because we were. Remember, we played Derby in the. I think it was quarterfinals of the FA Cup, at their place. Um, I think we beat them two 0 Rabbit scored. I think Rabbit no Juninho and Rabbit think scored. I don't know. Anyway, Emerson went back to. He was suspended and he went back to Brazil, and he he should have come back, but the Rio Carnival was on, so he didn't. Like he, he stayed at the party, right? So we all knew this and. So we all had that game, that derby game. We'd had T-shirts printed saying, where's Emo? And we'd wore them under our shirts. So whoever scored was going to pull the shirt over, where's Emo? But when we walked out to, to kick off, Emo was sat in the stand. So he'd, I don't know whether he flew back the day before, but he was at the game. So in the end, we couldn't pull our shirts up and say, where's Emo? But he, that's what he was. He, he just stayed and... He wanted a party a little bit longer. Can't really blame him. <laughs> no, it was either Rio or Derby. <laughs> no There's one thing I remember, Higgy, from that season, 96-97. Obviously, Viali joined Chelsea the same year. And I remember at the home game, Ravinelli and Viali did their own warm-up in the centre circle and just binned <laughs> off Chelsea and Borough's warm-ups to just stand and have a chat. <laughs> Does that sound about right to you? Can you yeah, remember that happening? It, it sounded absolutely right. Ravinelli <laughs> used to bring his own cook. So he'd bring his own cook to um, to the hotels and he would take over the kitchen and do yeah. Ravinelli's pasta. So Ravinelli would always have his pasta al dente. If anyone done pasta for him, it wasn't good enough. It was not. But he, so he'd bring his own chef. <laughs> and if he liked you, in the night, he would come round with like a, a strawberry jam pie. Right, so we'd have this strawberry jam pie and he'd, the cook would come round and knock on your door and say, oh, Rav wants you to have this. Or, it was like a special protein energy pie that you'd have the night with. God knows what was in it. Listen, there could have been all kinds in it, like Billy Wiz or something, but it was like this this pie and he would cook a pie and, and give it to the people who he liked. So every Friday we'd have this strawberry jam pie that his, his chef had cooked. Ravinelli's magic pies. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> honestly, they were they were lovely. So you wouldn't say no to one. I'd love one. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's. I think it's fairly well known that Robson. I wouldn't. I don't know if he was a disciplinarian, Higgy necessarily, but I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about um, Nigel Pearson in that dressing room with all those players, and presumably there's still a drinking culture at that time. How does that all mix? How does that all gel? Knowing what Pearson's like now as a manager. Compared to back then, he's the captain. 
Nigel was in the middle of it all. Nigel was leading it. He, Nigel wasn't. <laughs> Nigel would be there. If there was a night out, Nigel would be there. Nigel was the biggest pest you'll ever meet in your life. He was a nightmare. He, I mean, I remember the, the last, we were training at Ayrson Park for a while while we were playing at, at the uh, the Cellnet, as it was then. And Nigel, a really talented artist, he'd drawn caricatures of all the players in their spots. And some of them were quite cutting. <laughs> but they were brilliant. So he, Nigel was, if, if there was a joke being played, if there was a prank, it, Nigel would be somewhere close to it. And I think seeing him now as a manager doesn't really change my opinion of him. You've got to be a certain way as a manager, but he's always got that smile on his face. He's always, there's always a double meaning to whatever he says. Uh, and he, like, you know, like I say, he has that right smile when he says stuff. You know, he could fly off the handle. He didn't like getting stick back. And we knew that, so we used to do it more. <laughs> but if you give it, you've got to take it. And But Nigel, listen, Nigel loved it. Loved the night out. Loved a, a whiskey or a scotch or whatever he was drinking. Loved a cigar. We need we need to get into some of the big talking points then of this season. The, the turning point really was the the points deduction for cancelling the fixture against Blackburn, which eff- effectively, in the end, relegated Middlesbrough. Can you remember the build up and the aftermath of that one and the atmosphere around the club? I, I, all I remember is we, we went in on a Friday. There was a, a bit of illness and a bug going around the club. We were told we weren't going to travel. There was obviously there were some suspensions in that as well. I think some of the big players were suspended. I, I think Ravinelli might have been injured. I don't know. Junie or Junie might have been injured. Ravinelli suspended. Emerson, I don't think, was available. So they were big players for us, obviously. But all along, you're thinking, well, the club's obviously liaison with the FA. So we'll be led by them. And then when the game's cancelled, I mean, we trained on the Saturday morning, even though the game was cancelled. And I think if, if there was a, a, a photographer there, who took a picture of who was training, you, you would say, well, why is, why is the game cancelled? You know, we might have had to play a couple of kids. But in I mean, hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? You know, if we had played a couple of kids and got beat, we'd have still stayed up. So, But we had obviously felt, and, and the club had felt, that they, they were in the right to, to not travel and, and the game was cancelled on, on the say-so of the FA. Yeah. And then when it all come out, it was all very, very sketchy. Someone on a golf course, someone didn't take this, that or the other. Someone... So... Who yeah. knows what happened then? Fax machines and all that. Yeah, who knows what happened? I, I have no idea, but um, I think there's blame on, on both sides for that. So, obviously, that was a, a bit of a, a low point. We got deducted the three points, but in terms of the season, a couple of unbelievable cup runs, got to both cup finals that year. And I was looking through the stats earlier, and I had a look at the fixtures for April, and April is a joke. I don't know if you remember this, Higgy, but we had League Cup final versus Leicester at Wembley, which we'd obviously drawn all goes to extra time, and then goes to replay after extra time. A few days later, we've got the FA Cup semi against Chesterfield at Old Trafford, 3 all draw. Three days after that, League Cup final at Hillsborough, when we the replay, we lose to um, Steve Claridge's stupid socks. Three days later, we lose at home to the Mackhams in the league. Two days later, FA Cup semi, semi replay against Chesterfield. And then another two days later, we play Spurs in the league. So... Did you even go home in that period? It's like <laughs> you must be living in a caravan or something. Yeah, very rare. I think I remember the last bit, the the game against Chesterfield, and then the Spurs game. We went straight from that to Spurs, um, and I think in between that we we've gone the same. We've done the same. If I'm honest, we were shattered. You know, we were we were shattered. The the fixture list, the pile up, the pile up that we had, and the way they made us play games was a joke. 
you know, we just played extra time and then we had to play three days later and then it was mayhem. And I think that contributed as much as the three points getting deducted. You know, if we could have had at least one of them games in, what did we play, six games in 12 days or something like that, six in whatever. If we'd have had even five days between a game there, we might have got a result somewhere and that would have kept us up. So playing that many games in that space of time was was just a joke. It was. I remember feeling that the Leeds game for me, the last game of the season, Leeds, I had a really, it was a red-hot day. I had a really bad migraine in the game and the pitch was awful. If you look at the pitch now, it was one of them dry, bobbly, hardly grass on the pitch, end of season. You don't get them now. But back then you did and the ball was all over. And it just it was just a horrible day. But I remember feeling before that game, shot. I remember feeling shattered. And, and I didn't know whether that was because of what had happened the week before in the FA Cup final. or There was just so much that had gone on that it was just, it was it was draining mentally, mentally draining as much as physically. You know, you could do it physically, but it was the mental bit. You know, you always had to prepare, you had to concentrate. You and I, I never felt like I was out of that mode. I was always felt like I was concentrating on something. And and really mentally, looking back now, I was, I was shot. I was fatigued, and we needed a break, and we couldn't get one. And of course, the idea of replaying cup finals today it just seems crazy to think if there was a draw in the FA Cup final same again in a couple of days lads like it's just surreal really to, to think that happened it was mad and like I say we had a couple of them you know the Chesterfield replay and the, the Leicester replay in, in there and it uh, the Chesterfield one we probably drew that because we were tired anyway you know I know we'd had a man sent off in the game but you know that that wasn't a game really that we should have ever come close to losing but I mean, that's one of the most unbelievable games I've ever played in at Old Trafford. I remember looking at Curtis Fleming when we went 2-0 down, saying to him, we're having one here. And he said, I know. But again, you know, people say Chesterfield did brilliant in that game. But if you look at it, we were 2-0 down with 10 men and come back and we got our noses in front in the end and, and they scored last minute. So I thought we I thought we deserved credit for that game in a, in a funny way. But but it was Chesterfield who got all the, all the plaudits for it. Yeah, yeah, I was there that day. I remember it very well. Um, you've mentioned the sending off was Vladimir Kinder. I just want to jump back to him for a moment. My understanding of Vladimir Kinder was we've bought him to play left back. Rumor has it that Robbo thought he was right footed. Uh, sorry, left footed is actually right footed. He's also given the number seven shirt. I can't imagine those shirts were flying off the shelves. No. Uh, was it? Was who was this? Was Barnby seven? It could have been, um, but I think Kinder went on to wear seven. Yeah, which was weird. I don't know. I mean, Vlad was a strange, strange fish. He was, again, never caused any problems, enjoyed his job, laughed, smiley, didn't really speak a load of English, but enough to get by. But he mixed well. You know, we had, a, contrary to popular belief, we had an abs, a decent changing room, I would say, until the wheels started to come off a little bit. And one or two people, Rav was, was probably the main culprit who, when he went away on international duty, something had come out about Middlesbrough, about the town or about the club or, and it'd be attributed to Ravinelli and it would cause problems. And, and in the end, that's, you know, that's what happened. There was a few players who took umbrage to what he said and we had one or two set twos in, in training. 
was this the Neil Cox Ravenelli incident that I've we've we've heard of the rumours about? Yeah, that was cup final. I think that was cup final mm. morning. What happened there then? Well, I can't really say. Okay. Um, but I will. <laughs> 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 no, I think Ravenelli had said something in the paper, and he um, we were having breakfast, and and Coxie had took, like I say, he didn't like what he'd said, and thought he was disrespectful. Um, to the lads and stuff and called him out on it and Rav just but he called him out on it when we were having our pictures taken for the cup final <laughs> this is the morning of the FA Cup yeah final. so we had our Ray-Bans on pictures taken with Ray-Bans because they'd sponsored us then we had pictures with the suits because they were sponsored all in navy blue suits and then Rav and Ellie and Coxie I think Rav went for him and we were there was a few people rolling about on the floor this was before cup final morning <laughs> and if you look everyone's on you know, they've all got grass stains on their suits and everywhere they're rolling about. I think Ravinelli went back and smashed his room up. And then when he's getting on the coach, he's getting on the coach and his camera's there. And he's he's getting on the coach, shouting to Neil Cox, I kill you tonight, your family, my family, you're dead. Uh, and uh, obviously Cox is shouting back. And then from nowhere, so we've, we've had this, and then Janino gets up. And puts this Brazilian tape on and picks the mic up and starts singing in Brazilian this samba music. So we're having this on the coach. He's singing in Brazilian. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the weirdest day I've ever, ever. And then obviously Di Matteo scores after 30 seconds or whatever it was. I still think Ben Roberts should have had it, but yeah. Yeah, he yeah. died backwards. He nearly done a backflip. If he, I mean, Big Swater, if Big Swater was, was able to play that day, he'd have probably just caught it and, and got on with it. But that was the worst possible start we could have had. But the, the preparation and John Pickering, God rest his soul, had said to us after it, you'll you'll look back on this day and you'll regret it because you had a real chance. And we, we did. We, we were on our day. We'd have beat anyone. You know, we had to have our day. And there was too many things that were, were against us that day. I mean, Rav should never have played the game. You know, I think he, he went off about 10, 15 minutes with his hamstring that he'd done against Manchester United the week before. And it was it was just a lot of stuff that, that didn't go our way, really. But we were, like I say, we were to blame for some of it as well, for the way we, we behaved. There we are then. Half-time on Higgy. It was so good. We're going to bring you a part two next week. But Richie, just a bit of reflection on that, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, as a Borough fan, I was at that first cup final and my brother went to the second cup final and I thought I would probably knew all the stories and the tales, but clearly not. I mean, images of grass stains on suits and Giannio singing on the bus, it's just madness. Um, we won't give you any spoilers because there's loads more, loads more to come in, in next week's episode, but yeah, a lot to unpick there, Ketch. Yeah, part two, I think, is going to be a bit more of an emotional journey through the latter part of Higgy's career, but it's just... Superb, loved it. Before we before we finish, I just want to touch on. I think it might be interesting for the listeners to hear about some of the way that we're chasing players and we're getting leads in my view. And yes. I, just want, I just want to mention one of my pals who goes by the name of Dominic, who said to me he has a close family friend of Francis Benali. He's like, yeah, Franny, oh. one of my best pals. Um, he'll definitely come on the show. Yeah, I've been touching them. We've been ch- we're chatting all the time actually, me and Franny. We, we you know we're Great. tight, etc., etc. So it's like, awesome, yeah. So get Franny's email address. <coughs> Not interested. What? Well, Gnarly, sort it out. I've I mean, got a few irons in the fire. You do? 
Go on. Uh, very close to sealing Neil Sullivan. Oh. The problem we've got with Neil Sullivan oh. is he said he's, he's got a bad memory. Oh, <laughs> so, he's, he's probably still running back into his own net. He's going to come lobbed him. You remember that? Is yeah. he untangled from the net yet? Tell us about. But he's going to struggle with the opener <laughs> where we ask him to identify the other other members of the crazy gang okay. on the on the on the book. But he's he's having a listen to an episode. He sounds keen. We could be shaking hands with Neil Sullivan soon on an episode. Also, oh, Lee Dixon, nicest man in the world. Go back and listen to his episode. He has connected us with Graham Lasso and oh. Andy Townsend. I have oh, their emails. What? I've contacted both, and I've been met with deafening silence from each. Apparently, <laughs> Graham Lasso is the technical director at Real Mallorca. So he's probably a bit busy ah, to come on a 1990s football sticker book podcast, but we'll pursue. And also, we want to try and get Andy Townsend in there because he be lived with Gaza <laughs> Middlesbrough. So there's phenomenal. some incredible stories to be mined there. And then the last one that I've got, which I think is a dead end, I know for a fact Graham Fenton has been contacted by two people asking him if, asking him if he wants to come on the show. And we've had nothing back. He was a Blackburn player famously scored against Newcastle in the title running and he's a Geordie himself so that's probably why he doesn't want to come and talk about the 1990s Fenton. he hasn't been contacted but nothing mm. yet okay. so we're making, well, we're making progress yes we will continue with our endeavours but for now I think we're done for this week Matthew if any of the listeners actually know a player who would be interested in coming on the show and can directly connect us please do that we're searching for shinies do you also have any old stickers from the 97 book in your loft we are still trying to complete our old books they're half filled do you have any stories from the 90s that we might appreciate tell us them visit us at searchingforshinies.com there's a contact form there follow us on twitter and instagram at the shiny pod please subscribe to the podcast we're everywhere now to confirm we're on apple spotify acast stitcher google everywhere give us a shiny five star review and leave a nice rating and on with the search richie yeah, let's get on with it and um, we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.